So, hello, I'm Cassidy Griffin. I'm on staff with Chi Alpha. Um, I'm married to Taylor, so you might have heard him speak on a Tuesday night. Um, we've got our two rambunctious kiddos, Matthew and Sophie. Um, and I'm super excited and happy to be here for this session. Um, here today with me, I have Thad Huff. Um, he is the lead pastor and founder with his wife, Dana, of Open Life Church in Bonnie Lake. Who knows where Bonnie Lake is? That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Um, uh, we have him here today with us because he represents a unique bridge for us from college ministry to being part of a, a church community as a working adult, okay? So for the sake of context, our vision statement here in Chi Alpha is that we are making lifelong disciples of Jesus who will reach the, market, the university, the marketplace, and the world, okay? So reaching the university is pretty obvious. Uh, you can reach the university right now. Um, your classmates, your roommates, your friends on campus. Um, you can love them like Jesus loves them, right? We also had our CMIT breakout. Who went to that one? CMIT? Yeah. So that's like, you know, if you want to give a year and do campus, missionary, ca campus missions on campus. Um, the world is also easier to understand, so we can reach international students on our campus. Um, we can go after college to different parts of the world as missionaries. Um, who went to Tim and Shana's breakout? Yeah, okay, so you guys would have learned about that. Um, so they've got this opportunity coming up to do a short-term trip to Indonesia, right? Okay, so that leaves the marketplace. What is the marketplace? The marketplace is your job as a teacher, an engineer, a salesperson, an accountant, a stay-at-home parent. Um, it's really anything that's not a paid ministry job, right? Um, and most of you will have jobs like this. Um, most of you are planning on taking your major and finding a job that fits within that major. Who would say that's like in your realm of thinking right now? Like, I would like a job in my major, right? Um, um, some of you would even say that you have a calling to a certain job, okay? You feel like God has asked you to work in a certain field or have a certain job. So what does reaching the marketplace mean? How do we live missionally in a secular context? We are not going to fully answer that question today, um, but we're going to make a start. Um, and I'm very excited to have Thad here to help us do that and start that conversation. I'm going to ask him uh, to do most of the talking now. He's going to answer some questions there will also be time at the end for a few audience questions, so if you have a question, please write it down, and then we'll come back to it at the end, okay? Um, so let's just jump in. Thad, I'd love it if you could share your story, so tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and how you became a pastor. switch while we're figuring that out. Uh, hey, you can be here. Uh, so I was just my faith story. I was 21 years old when I gave my life to, the, to Jesus. I was told in my senior year in high school by a person who invited me to church that and I kept being kind of rude in my response to her. Yeah, she one day just by an inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the hallway in front of Spanish class said, Thad, one day you're going to hit rock bottom, and when you do, go to Shoreline Community Church and you'll be loved. Fast forward, I had walked away from every sense of the faith. I went to the University of Washington and just 
did everything you would do going to the University of Washington. And, uh, and so I ended up without any faith influence whatsoever at the time in my life. I ended up getting a job on a, on a cruise boat as an entertainment coordinator and just was fully focused on acting, singing, uh, dancing. And so I uh, had walked away from even school at the time and just thrown myself into life and uh, ended up hitting rock bottom when my girlfriend had explained to me that she had had an abortion and it was my child. That was the moment that was rock bottom for me. My life, I'm making really short, long story really short, sounds kind of brutal. Um, but I just kind of had, it's like the Lord played this reel in my mind of my entire life and how I just committed every sin in my thought pattern right there. And it was a Saturday night that this happened. And I remember Bobby's words rang out in my head, go to Sterling Community Church and you'll be loved. So the next morning I woke up, drove up to from West Seattle to Shoreline Community Church, walked in, sat underneath the balcony and listened to a message on the sanctity of life. Yeah, how abortion was wrong. Like that was the message. It was brutal, like a sledgehammer to the face. But it hurt good. And I came back the next week and the next week and the next week. And, you know, the person who uh, made the biggest impact on my life that day was an usher in the church. His name is Bob Blair. He saw me crying and he walked over and he said, are you OK? And I was like, yeah, I lied. And uh, <laughs> and he said, I'm going to be praying for you this week. I hope to see you again next week. And as ushers in that church, they were trained to like serve those in a section and I was in the under the balcony hiding from the lightning bolt section you know and so he he loved me well and I showed up the next week and he remembered me and the next week and the next week and so uh, uh, you know he wasn't a pastor he was a professional somebody working in the marketplace made an impact on my life another guy approached me and said I feel like God has a call on your life this is a while later and said uh, I have you ever read the Bible, like study the Bible? And I said, no. He says, let's meet once a week. I want to I wanna teach you how to study the Bible. Uh, he was uh, in charge of all the car dealerships in Seattle. He ran the Seattle Car Show. Just a professional that decided to disciple someone and poured into my life. And I, in the course of studying with him through uh, a couple different books of the Bible, and uh, in an NIV study Bible, I felt a call to ministry. And it was like, uh, these guys shaped me, and um, I thought I was disqualified from that because of my lifestyle. In all honesty, my call was a little weird. Uh, I was praying at the couch in my room, and uh, uh, I felt like God told me I was going to marry a pastor's wife. You kind of need discernment when you hear that word from the Lord. You know, let's see here. Well, do I just Google pastors and look at their wives? You know, I don't think that's wise. So. I knew that God wasn't saying I was supposed to commit adultery with somebody. I, I knew that much so far. So I, in very large denial, I was like, that would mean I would be a pastor. And I started down this road of, no way. With my lifestyle and what I've done, there's no way I could be a pastor. And so I went and met with that same guy who preached that message the first Sunday. I walked into church, Rob Vatter, and I said, Rob, I've been living in this tension of feeling like I'm disqualified, but uh, I, d I don't know about this. And he 
opened up 1 Corinthians 6, which says, such were some of you, you know, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified, justified by the blood of Jesus. And then he opened up the Psalms and said, your sins were cast as far as east is from the west. Pursue what God has put on your heart. And so uh, not long after that, I found my wife, Dana, in the church. She was the secretary for the music department, and I sang a lot. So uh, uh, we ended up, you know, getting married. And the, the night before we got married, she handed me this letter she wrote when she was in high school. And uh, at a, like, service where they had to, like, envision that perfect husband and all these things. And so she went and wrote a letter to her husband, which was the assignment for the message. And the f- way it opened up is, uh, I, I guess... Uh, or says, uh, the reason you have been handed this letter tells me that you're a pastor because God told me when I was in high school that I was going to marry a pastor's wife. And I was like, you're going to marry a pastor's wife. And she knew for years before I was ever a follower of Jesus that that was the calling on her life as well. She was a teacher, and uh, she felt called to be in early elementary education. And so she's missionally active in the public school systems. Um, boy, what else did you ask? I got emotional uh, remembering that. But just uh, so how did we uh, I become a pastor? I answered that call, leaned into it. I didn't know what realm of ministry I should do. I felt like I shouldn't do youth because that's when I messed up. I really was passionate about young adults. I wanted to do college ministry, but no church has had a large enough college department to get hired to do that. And so I ended up uh, becoming a youth pastor and then young adult pastor, worship pastor, and all those different things. So uh, eventually felt the call to start a church. But I'll, if that's part of the future questions, we'll hear. I don't know. Let's just do that later. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, I guess also you could share a little bit about your family. Oh, family. Yes. So since uh, being married, uh, we've had four kids. So I have... Um, Having babies was a hard thing. Like we were told by doctors, they didn't think it was going to happen. But miracles do happen. We ended up having identical twins initially, which is uh, uh, so cool because, like, of all the stuff we tried to get pregnant, you always wonder, like, well, uh, did we do this twin thing by medical intervention? And you can't medically make identical twins. So it's kind of like God's just like little, no, but I had perfect timing for you. You didn't have kids when you wanted to, but now you have two kids in the timing you wanted to have two kids all at once, you know. Uh, They're pretty cool, pretty awesome girls, and uh, Jocelyn and Jenna, they're actually seniors at Northwest University. They'll go right into their master's, which they'll have the year after, and they both want to be in elementary ed. Uh, Jocelyn, who was born one minute before Jenna, uh, is wanting to be uh, like a third grade teacher slash she'll become a principal or a superintendent because we call her bossy Jossy. She wants to be in charge. Uh, and then Jenna will be a music teacher or a third grade teacher as well. They've seen the impact. Their third and fourth grade teacher made in their life, and that's why they want to be in education. And then my uh, third daughter is my hiking buddy. I love to go hiking backpacking. And uh, so we'll do some pretty crazy things. And uh, she is 16, sophomore at White River High School. And then my son, Preston, 
is in the seventh grade at Glacier Middle School, right where the school district is, and, and uh, uh, they're enjoying him. He's active in sports and YouTube. That's pretty much it. You know, if can you be active on YouTube? If so, he is, right? <laughs> I think. Uh, that's the band. Um, uh, we'd love to hear just you share the story and the vision of your church, Open Life. So if you could just share about that. Amen. So Open Life, uh, we were youth pastors and thought we were going to be youth pastors for life. That was kind of the take of my wife and I. Uh, we loved youth ministry and investing into young people. Having our house was always, we were just an open house. Like kids would show up at our house on Thanksgiving and Christmas. And just that's kind of where we were wired. And uh we still are, but the, um, all of a sudden, in, in 2008, the summer of 2008, we were at a summer camp, and the speaker, Keith Kippen, had a word of knowledge that he was giving to pastors at the altar. He called us up, and, and over our lives, oh, by the way, I didn't tell this part of our having kids, uh, there was a revival service we were at in our youth ministry, which just means evening services beyond Sunday, <laughs> I think would be a good descriptor. Um, and he was praying for people. Keith Kippen was the speaker at that. This is like year earlier in 2001. And uh, he uh, felt the Lord tell him that he was going to pray over us and then we were going to be able to have children. And we w uh, my wife and I were in different spaces praying for kids and both felt like we should go be prayed over at the same time. We made our way up onto the stage, and he prayed over us, and sure enough, we got pregnant and had the twins. So he was part of, like, our natural, like, birth scenario. Okay, fast forward. Uh, we're at this summer camp. Keith is speaking, and he gets this word of knowledge, and it was this. He's like, you're going to give birth to something not of natural means, like the twins, but of spiritual means that you could not imagine even if I told you. And it's like, what is that? Right. Like that makes no sense. And uh, and as I handle any prophetic word, I just kind of set it right over here. Right. OK, if it comes up, I'll maybe remember this, you know, fast forward to February of 2009. Oh, no. Let, let me finish his word of knowledge. His word of knowledge was you're going to give birth of something that you could not imagine nine months from today. And he said, Mark, my words, nine months from today. And you're just like. Okay, Keith, that was awesome, you know. Vessel of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, I set that right there. And, uh, and we get to February. I'm getting ready to lead a winter camp. And the night before, our pastor said, we've got to have a board meeting because there's this church closing in Bonnie Lake. And, and we're, the network's coming to talk about it and share ideas. Dad, you don't have to come if you don't want. I know tomorrow's winter camp. And I was like, no, I'll, I'll show up to support. And. So I show up, and in this meeting, the network was talking about closing a church that was Monty Lake, but they wanted to give birth to a church, which didn't make sense unless they had somebody to lead that church. So he was trying to find out if anybody on the team was interested in starting a church. And it was like the spotlight from heaven literally shone on us that night, or on me sitting there in that meeting that I wasn't supposed to be at, or I didn't have to be at. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I've never even thought of being a, a pastor, a lead pastor. But I think maybe I'm supposed to do this. And everybody in the room felt it, too. And I was all of a sudden getting these weird visions about launching this thing. And I'm just going, this is weird. 
we had this camp worship team at our house. I'm like, I'm going to go home, and what's going to happen? The board voted 10 to 1 to start it, like, in that room that night. Like, uh, but gave us a three-week period to pray. I come home. Oh, and we're starting church. You know, it was like, oh, it was the weirdest moment ever. My wife was about to kill me. Uh, and so we uh, ended up, you know, just like praying about this, praying about this. And I put together, I was like, oh, could this be what that prophecy was about? Oh, could this be what my grandpa prayed over me when he laid his hand on me as a child? I remembered this impartation moment from my great grandpa Thaddeus, who was a, a preacher. And I was like, what did he do exactly? So I call my grandma right before she got dementia and forgot everything. Uh, and I said, what did grandpa, great grandpa Thaddeus do? She says, oh, he started churches, seven of them. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is in my blood maybe, you know? Um, and so I was like, so I'm at that place. My wife, no, a chance. She wanted to be a senior pastor's wife. She had all these images of what that is, and she didn't want to do that. She's like, if we're going to do this, I need to hear the audible voice of God. So we had this leadership training called the Northwest Leadership Summit. And it was in Yakima. We show up with about 500 other people, and we're in this training. And it's the day before we have to give an answer. She's still like, I haven't heard the audible voice of God yet. And uh, so the leader of this is speaking the final session. And he gets up there, and he's like, I, I, I have this message on my heart that God has given me. But before I do, the Lord put a burden on me that I have to share a word from God to somebody in this room. He says, this is the word that I feel I'm supposed to share from God. You're supposed to start that church. <laughs> My wife says, loud enough for you to hear in an auditorium of 500 people, shut up, like that loud. I kid you not, it happened. There's many people there to prove it. So uh, we went back to our church. Yeah, it was hilarious. It's like all the eyes were like, you know, well, yep, I guess that was us, you know. Uh, so she heard the audible voice, which was amazing. You don't always get that to discern what you're supposed to do. And uh, so we said, this is obviously God's idea, not ours. It wasn't the pizza. So we were just like, let's do this. And and uh, we went back and told our church, we want we, we feel this is the Lord. And then they said, well, we feel it's not anymore the Lord's will, so we're not going to do it. And we were like, What? So March goes by, and the Northwest Ministry Network comes back and says to our church, no, I think we actually ran a test. Like, they had me take a bunch of tests, and they said, Thad is, like, 100% supposed to be a church planter is what they're called when you start a church. It's like, he's supposed to be a church planter. He passed all these test things that say, like, that's the way he's wired and why he's wired the way he is. And so they went back into a board meeting, delayed by a couple months, and said, okay, we'll do this. And so they gave me that news nine months from the day of that prophetic word about summer church. So I, have n I can never say God didn't tell us to do what we're supposed to do. That's how we started Open Life. Uh, one more piece of that puzzle, Open Life, the way we wired Open Life to start with. My life first was, um, and still is, First, second, uh, first Thessalonians 2.8. Uh, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share not only the gospel of God with you, but our lives as well. Just kind of our open life kind of vibe. So that's what we named the church. And um, we 
started to learn what do you do to start a church like because I'd never studied to do that and we just got to know our community and one of the things we always heard in our community from like the mayor and and administrator and stuff was uh, if they're ever weighing an idea they would weigh it through this lens like how does this benefit the community and so we we just knew that we wanted to start a church that was a benefit to the community and when I asked them, what are churches doing right now in the community that are a benefit to the community? They looked at each other, and they had not one idea. And I was mad about that, kind of like a Jesus turning over the tables mad. And that's one of the ways I'm motivated. You know, it's like if you say it's like sick them or you can't do it, I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, so I was kind of in that mode, and that's the way we started the church. The, the, you know, it was in the marketplace, we intentionally decided to be like something that would benefit the community. Um, so on your guys' website, on the About page, you have a section called like the culture of your church. And one of the parts of your culture culture is called we're uncomplicated. And you say we keep things simple so people have space to do life with those around them and remain present with their community. And then you ask this question on the website, do you have margin in your life? Um, I'd love it if you could like unpack that for us. Like, what does that look like? What's the heart behind it? How is it lived out? Uh, one of the things we had learned doing what I would call traditional church models for uh, 13 years before we started Open Life as youth pastors, we were in three different churches before that, um, in Spokane, Issaquah, and then in Otter, we, is we realized that Oftentimes, our calendars were so busy, we didn't know our neighbors. So you, you're doing church events on holidays. You're doing, um, you know, just alternative events on days that are important to the world, you know, and, and your community and your culture. So, like, moments where you could actually develop an inroad with a neighbor, you were actually at a church building. Uh, or your schedule was so busy and you were so committed to a thing as a volunteer in a church that you would burn out, quote unquote, and you'd just burn through volunteers and somehow the church thought it was okay. And so I was, we didn't want that to be part of our culture. We wanted to create an environment where people could serve a, once a month or twice a month but we wouldn't let them serve more than that so they're engaged in the life of the church. They could sit with their family at some point in time in the church. Slash, we didn't want to put so many things on the church calendar that they weren't involved in the community. And one of the biggest inspirations was before we even thought of starting Open Life, we decided to do something different when we were a part of a church in Auburn, and that was encourage people to be present in their neighborhoods on Halloween. And so we... Uh, started this tradition in our driveway where we would have a fire pit. We made hot chocolate, and we had the candy all outside, and we would just have the most life-giving, warm, fun driveway and hang out and not be the house with its lights off. That first Halloween, people would walk by, and, and our neighbors had their lights off because they were doing a, a trunk or treat at, uh, somewhere or a, a harvest party you know, and they weren't present in the neighborhood. And people would talk so bad about the houses with their lights off. It was weird. Like, and these were good people. Like, you know, the people probably part of a church or a school. And uh, and so they're, but they're just like, I can't believe you're not participating. This is the best night ever. And they're just, 
lights off, party pooper, you know, just all these different things. And you're like, that's been us for the last however many years to that point, like 11 years. We've always been at church or doing something on Halloween. So we were kind of convicted by what the world viewed. We were trying to do something safe, but the world viewed it as not present. And uh, so we, we shifted our mindset, and we wanted to be very present. And so uh, our neighbors, a funny story, our next-door neighbors, is it's the house that scares kids, you know? So then there was the house that's life-giving, you know? So we would always have to tell them if they're going that way with their hot chocolate. <laughs> Parents, you hold the hot chocolate. Trust me until you're past the next driveway, you know? Because uh, all these kids are like, ah! <laughs> Anyway, the, uh, we, this last year, had a, a teen come by, like late years, 17 years old probably, and stop and get some hot chocolate and warm up the fire. She goes, I am so excited I'm not grounded this year. The last two years I've been grounded on Halloween, but I look forward to this house every year just to hang out, have a conversation, have some hot chocolate, talk, thank you. I was looking forward to tonight. So if it was just for that person, it was worth it. So that's kind of uh, the vibe. Did I answer your question? Uh, I don't remember it. But, oh, so, yeah, just as far as having margin to do stuff like that. So we, we tell people, you know, use that margin in your life. Leave space. Don't just fill it with all this Jesus stuff so you can't be around people you don't know Jesus. Um, go to your company parties or your reunions or your – you know, if your kid's into soccer, travel with the soccer team on the weekend. Don't feel bad you're missing out on Sunday because you're on mission when you go with that team and you get to be God's presence there with them. And so we just really encourage people, don't don't feel like it's, it has to be all church stuff if you're a Christian. You're being commissioned to go out and be his presence wherever you go. And so we don't we defend the calendar pretty strongly. Let me explain this and like a membership thing. Uh, to where, and some people want a big, busy church calendar. They're just never going to get that at Open Life because we're going to leave enough space for them to know where they are. That's, that's so awesome. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, let's continue this conversation about the culture of your church. And so another value that you guys have on your website is that you're present with our community, and you ask this question, how are you active within the culture around you? So you kind of like talked about that a little bit just now. Um, but are there any other, like, examples of, like, how you're present in the culture around you? Yeah, so it goes back to that benefit to the community thing that the mayor was saying when we first started and how they couldn't think of any churches that were present with the community. Uh, and so we encourage people, one, neighbor the eight. It's like neighboring eight. If you live in a suburbial neighborhood, which not everybody does in our community, it's kind of both rural and suburbial but most people, if they're in a neighborhood, have eight neighbors, right? The three houses across the street, the ones beside them, and then the three behind them. What if you knew your neighbors by name and need, and you could pray for them by name and need? You should know all your neighbors' needs. So we would challenge them to, to uh, neighbor their neighbors, love your neighbors. Jesus actually meant what he said there. And so uh, there's some great books on that, neighborliness and just all these different books. So we, we – gave those to our church and challenged them to be present in their neighborhood. And then we challenged them to be uh, just 
present in community in any way, shape, or form, they were wired. So, um, and, and we would as a church as well, but it doesn't all have to be the church generating their presence in community. So uh, we would find out what are the cultural realities of our community, where are some gaps that the church could either fit into, or where is where are there things being done well we could come alongside. We'd say instead of just the church being present, we want to be shoulder to shoulder facing the need. So we would find ourselves then in the business world. I was the Chamber of Commerce president, which sounds like really boring, but was it interesting? Because you're with community leaders all the time making decisions. And, uh, and then you, so as me, I found myself in the business community being present. Uh, we would have people who are passionate about hunger, so they would be serving as volunteers at the local food banks, drivers, picking up food, whatever their needs were. They would offer their themselves and their skills there. Uh, it could be, as a church, we're good at doing, and as leaders of the church, we're good at planning events. Um, we had been in charge of national uh and global events before we, in different ministry positions we've been in. We did the anniversary gathering and service for 9-11 at Madison Square Gardens and, and secured it for the president to show up. So we had large-scale events like that. To, so it was easy for us to like bring the community around a need and coordinate it. So we became like these coordinators in the community. It was really interesting. We empowered people to do it. And so we started this event that, that distributes, instead of everybody doing their own Thanksgiving thing in our community, we created this united effort to get families experiencing food insecurity meals at Thanksgiving called the Community Big Give. And so it went from like 150 meals the first year in 2010 to now we serve over 6,500 families or, or people through 1,500 families. Uh, and it's the entire community coming together to do this, like Walmart and the school districts and the superintendents and, I mean, just the mayors. It's everybody serving at this thing. It started as, like, 20 open life people inspiring the community to face a need together. So we've been these uniters kind of in community. Uh, but it could be around that. It could be around food. It could be school supplies. We partnered organizations with every school for Christmas gifts or school supplies, um, uh, just kind of connecting people to needs. So not only as a church were we meeting one campus's need, but we found people in the community who are passionate about education to adopt and supply schools with their needs, like businesses or community groups. And so we just have loved being those connectors, solving problems. We, we started this thing called Kids Connect this year. I say we have not done anything for this. This is some families in our church that went through a discipleship for a year and then said, God, okay, how are you going to use me? And felt that he challenged them to start this kids, like reading thing on Friday mornings and for families who needed connection. And so... That's launched. It was just a need in an area of the community that is impoverished. Um, it could be foster care. I don't know. There's been various areas we've engaged. Uh, and when I say we, someone from the church has even fan into flame that engagement to support it in any way, shape, or form and celebrate it. Wow. So many good things. Um, and we are 
running short on time. This is I have so many questions. Okay, um, let's just jump to uh, what are three pieces of advice that you would give a college student transitioning from Chi Alpha into a new town and a new church community? Wow. Uh, don't do it alone. Like, find some people there. Meet your neighbors. Uh, even if you're in an apartment, which is close together, but you stay apart. It's like backwards, right? Uh, but get to know your coworkers. Get to know people. You need, to, you need names. Don't be invisible. Even if you're introverted, kind of open your life up and be a little bit vulnerable so that you can meet people. And a great space to do that is in a church. But shop the churches. Like, don't feel bad going in and figuring out who people are and their values and, and whether their values are aspirational or actual. Big difference. Like, it, it was funny when you say, on your website it says this. And I'm like, well, I'm glad we're doing that, right? Because sometimes you get to a church and you're like, it said they're this, but this is not this, you know? And so just you got to wade through that, and it's worth wading through that. Uh, if possible, I would say, you know, if you know somebody else called into your field or gets a job in the same community, like, go together would be wise. And then be the culture you're desiring. I would say oftentimes you can show up in a room in a church and statistically, churches are getting older. You might be the young, only young adult in a church and feel like, oh, there's no young adults here. What if you would be the young adult? And so the next young adult who shows up, like if you like the church and they're living out their values and they're in community in a way that you're desiring and you feel like you're getting to know people, it's a genuine environment, and they're preaching the Bible, then it's like, I'm going to stick here so other young adults will stick here because they're going to show up and do the same thing you're doing. Look around and seeing if there's any young adults. What you'll find is you might go to a few different churches and not see young adults, and then you might think, well, maybe church isn't for me. And you're like, I would never do that. It's a lie of the enemy, and you'll try to put that in your head. Guaranteed. So uh, it'd be, it, it's the same challenge that's been around forever. I think I jotted down a, a passage actually uh, Jeremiah 29 5 says build houses settle down plant gardens eat what they produce marry and have sons and daughters find wives for your sons give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there do not decrease also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper so just be a presence of blessing to the community you land in, and God will bless you back. It's like be that culture you're desiring, I guess I would speak into you. Um, uh, let's see, anything else? No, just be, be present, be active, get involved in the community somewhere, and you'll meet people who value you of all generations, by the way. Uh, let older generations get to know you. Don't just hang out with only young adults. Find some people who are passionate. We have all generations and nationalities in our church, and it's fun to watch them pour into others in cross-generational kind of ways that are very powerful. So don't limit yourselves to your age bracket. Is that a 
touch. Your coworkers, even though they're 20 years older than you, might be very life-giving if you get to know them. So. Um, okay. So uh, So something we've been talking uh, well, we kind of talked about that. I'm trying to decide which question to go here. Or go. Okay. Let's go with this one. So something we've been talking about as a staff team is the idea of sending out teams of students into the marketplace. Um, so they'd live near each other, they'd find a, join a, like a local church, and they'd support each other and live missionally in their jobs, through their hobbies, and in their neighborhoods. So what do you think about that from a pastor's perspective? Hypothetically, what if a group moved to Bonnie Lake, joined your church, and wanted to live missionally in the community while working secular jobs? So what, w- what are your thoughts on that? Sounds biblical. Um, I mean, you read through the Bible and they go out two by two. Jesus sends his 12 out and 72 out two by two, right? Uh, in the book of Acts, they're going out in groups. They're going out and, and, and serving with accountability and support and life on life. And then you have, uh, so that just makes sense, right? Because we can hold each other up. When, when we're alone, the enemy whispers and we can be drawn into weird things. Uh, so just knowing somebody is very important, even if you meet them when you get there, if you don't have that chance to go two by two or threes or whatever number. Uh, so it's a successful model. It works all over the world um, and in all cultures. I would say uh, being secularly employed is a thing that we really don't say at Open Life because we believe all work is holy. Um, in fact, two weeks ago, we had a commissioning service for everyone because your, your uh, work is your witness. However well you work, wherever God has placed you and you work as unto the Lord and you work skillfully, God blesses you uh, and, and allows your witness to be visible. If your work is slothful, lazy, messy, your witness is ruined. So it's like, uh, so wherever you go, whatever environment, God will open doors. In fact, he's got a promise in Proverbs, I think it is 29 or somewhere, that if you're a skilled worker, you will serve before kings, not common men. And it's like a weird passage, but you just realize he's saying, be skilled at your work, do it skillfully, whatever it is. And because that's your calling, those people there, God needed you there for them. Um, so be a great witness to them. If I think it's interesting in, in prepping for that series, uh, I just going back to Genesis and realizing what did God do? He, he worked, right? The first few days of creation, he worked. His work was creating, it was creativity. And when he created Adam, which means human, Right. So when he created the first human, what did he ask him to do? Work in the garden. And when sometimes we think, well, holy work, that's like church or evangelism or compassion work or missions trip. Um, Not to God. In fact, the first work he assigned was gardening. (laughs) And that was holy work. So it's like, why would we think engineering or teaching or being a in medicine or transportation, like why would that not be holy work? It is holy work. So we need to view our work and our passion as, as holy, and you know, so we need to work as it as if it, it is our ministry. 
and God can use us to make a difference through that, if that makes sense. Um, so I forgot your question already, but anyway, uh, let's see. If, um, if a group showed up, they would feel incredibly at home, in my opinion. Um, and it would be familiar to the context of High Alpha at Open Life because we do have meals together like in homes or groups that are welcoming. You're probably going to have to figure out like what group of people to hang out with because you'll be invited to hang out because most of the time it's not like you're left alone. Um, but we've got a really genuinely loving group of people who live out that First Thessalonians 3 eight that we do life with each other in a, in a way that is pretty beautiful, whether you're passionate about hiking or the Sounders, like they get together to watch games or we just do life together. So I think you would find yourself doing life with other people of all generations from all around the world. There's so much Mandarin in our lobby lately. Tahale in Bonnie Lake, there's this community. It's the largest planned development this side of the Mississippi. And so it's become this melting pot for people moving here from out of the country and around the country. And so it's really become uh, intercultural, which is beautiful. I feel like it sounds like heaven in a way. So thank you. Wow. Okay. Man. So I, I, we need to close this up. I think, so something that we really believe in as Chi Alpha is we believe in discipleship and training. Um, if you feel called to the marketplace, but you want more discipleship and biblical training uh, before you leave Chi Alpha, I, I just say that the Chi Alpha internship is not just for future campus missionaries. The Chi Alpha internship is for future world missionaries and future marketplace missionaries, right? So uh, I just feel like highly encourage you guys to think about that as like a place to receive more training before you head out, especially if you're like transfer student, been in class for two years, or you're running start and you're like graduating at age 20. I highly recommend sticking around <laughs> doing internships, um, growing more as a person. Um, I think there's so much good stuff that um, Thad shared with us. I, I have some people in my mind that I'd love for you to have a conversation with him after this. Um, and I will come and find you, don't worry. But if you <laughs> have more questions or thoughts, things that you would like um, to ask Thad, I think he's going to stick around for a while. He's going to stick around as long as you guys want to have a conversation with him. So I would love it if you guys continued this because I, I promised we'd have questions at the end, and uh, we don't necessarily have time for that. So maybe let's do two questions. Do we have two questions? Questions. I'm a good small group leader. I'm just going to sit here until you ask. Yeah, Carolyn. Yeah, I think you have to find your rhythm, again, with with margin so you're not overscheduling yourself in such a way that you'll commit to something you exit out of in three months. You more want to be faithful to whatever you commit to for, like, a long season. 
that makes the biggest impact. Think long. So you kind of want to think of your year and say, what could I do? What rhythm could I make happen? Is it one Saturday a month? Is it uh, Thursday evening? Um, and, and you're like, what opportunities in the community fit this? And maybe if you're one night a week, you're going to say, or maybe one night a month. Let's take a Thursday night every month. What exists in a community that you could invest yourself into? And you kind of look. There's pretty much every community has uh, volunteer opportunity info somewhere, be it a library, online if you Google it. In our community, there would be a dinner program at Prairie Ridge that always needs help. Uh, you might be able to go to the food banks and pack backpacks that go with students over the weekend. I think that happens on Thursday nights. So you just kind of pick a, a day, a night, an opportunity, and you try to think, could I give two hours every Thursday night to this or once every month to this? And find your rhythm and offer yourself in that to explore initially, but then commit to. And, and if you become a consistent presence there, your value, you realize how valuable you are because volunteerism has fallen in culture, especially post-COVID. So all these organizations, <laughs> this guy showed up at what's called the Communities for Families group at the Sumner Bonnier School District uh, at the beginning of the month. A room full of 40 leaders, you know, fire chiefs, uh, police chiefs, mayors um, in, in the room. And he says, well, I'm new to the community and I was looking for a way to get involved. I mean, it was like meat dropping in shark infested waters because <laughs> everybody's like, oh, I need you, I need you, I need you. you know? So it's like there's lots of opportunities. So you really have the opportunity to step back and select what fits. And you kind of have to know yourself. How much can you handle? My wife and I are wired in very active ways. So we do a lot, uh, but we do it together as a family. So it's almost not like, work it's who we are and so we can oftentimes you can look at our schedule and go i can never do that but we still feel like we have margin so it's kind of your rhythm you have to figure out how much can you do and then lean into opportunities and see what really resonates with it yeah and i think sometimes uh committing to something once a month when you're a college student that doesn't really feel like a lot because like our life on, on the college campus life moves really really fast but when you're an adult, this is what I've experienced, life moves very, very slowly. So <laughs> I think that even once a month, it's like if you commit years once a month, I mean, that is really powerful. So I think that's just helpful to think about. Like our life on the college campus is significantly faster than real life. You're going to learn that eventually. <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Trying to think. Uh, oh, yeah. I was going to say one more question. That's right. I said two questions, so I'm ready for one more. No? Okay. Oh, we got one. Yeah, so that was a really big church. So um, 
it definitely had training and development of an usher team that and they taught them that they had a space of people that they were responsible for during the service they were serving so that was definitely trained um but there was a culture that was genuine enough that it didn't feel like i was a task i felt like i was a human being broken and some other human cared about that and um so it's critical, you know, if you're in a small, smaller church like ours, which is only like 100 people, you would, you know it's genuine. And in fact, the people who would walk up to you aren't scheduled. We don't have that. You know, we have just other humans who care about other humans. So it's like um, we don't have the need to usher, I guess, yet, organizationally, structurally. But they did. And so Bob just did his job well. Like, and, and he's still a friend to this day. So, you know, I comment on his birthday on Facebook and like, love you, man. You made a difference in my life. Uh, so I just think that like that carries forward. I don't know. Yeah, I, it was programmatic, but genuine in culture. So I think that's key to train people in no matter where you find yourself is tra- that it can't feel like a program. And it can't smell like a program or forced. In fact, it better be more than just the usher. Who cares? Or it eventually won't work, right? Okay. That was good. 